As parents, we often have gut feelings when something just isn't right. This can be especially true in co-parenting arrangements where one parent is struggling with addiction. If you're co-parenting with an ex-spouse who abuses alcohol, Soberlink can help. Soberlink's alcohol monitoring system is the most convenient, reliable, and reasonable way for a parent to provide evidence that they are not drinking during parenting time. The system's real-time alerts, facial recognition, and tamper detection ensure the integrity of each test so you can be confident your kids are with a sober parent. With Soberlink, judges rest assured that your child is safe, attorneys get court-admissible evidence of sobriety, and your kids are able to maintain healthy relationships with both parents. To sign up and get $50 off your device, visit www.soberlink.com empowered. Welcome to the Her Empowered Divorce Podcast. I'm your host, Beverly Price. With my 30 years of divorce coaching experience, I fully prepare you for the critical decisions that will impact you for the rest of your life. Through this podcast, you'll gain valuable insights on all aspects of divorce, from the logistical and financial to the emotional and legal. With expert guests, practical advice, actionable tips, and inspiring conversations, we'll explore how to master your divorce and emerge stronger on the other side. You don't have to face this alone. Let's start this journey together and create a better future. So without further ado, let's get started with the show. Hi, beautiful. I'm so excited about our episode today. I have a fabulous expert who has lots and lots of experience to share with you all about mediation, hostility, and emotions. Boy, isn't that a loaded topic. Her name is Elise Halpern, and I'm going to let her tell you a little bit about her background because it's so extensive. I don't want her to have to sit there quietly while I tell you all about it. So hi, Elise. Welcome. And Hi, Beverly. Thank you. I'm so excited to have you. Could you tell everybody a little bit about you? Yeah, sure. Um, I grew up in Buffalo, went to Cornell and Georgetown Law School, started off working in the executive branch, and then I went over to the U.S. Senate and worked for Ted Stevens, a senator from Alaska. And uh, then I had three kids. I uh, worked as a lobbyist for the American Medical Association. And then with three kids, I really wanted control over my schedule. And so I became a mediator about 13 years ago. Wow. Started off doing court-referred mediations to get lots of experience. Then I taught law school for eight semesters and learned so much. And I also started about eight and a half years ago my own mediation practice. Little Falls Mediation. Cool. Do you find that a lot of people don't know what mediation is? Yes. Yes. In fact, they think it's meditation. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I even have Little Falls Mediation t-shirts that I made when I started my practice. And people will look at me and say, oh, you're a meditator. Oh, wow. Well, you could probably combine the two. <laughs> yes. 
<laughs> yes, I just need to, I need to be disciplined about my meditation. Yes. I, I find that very difficult. Me too. Yes. Me too. I agree with you. So tell tell me a little bit about what mediation is and how does the process work um, if it works the way it's supposed to. Let's put it that way. <laughs> yes. Well, I think the most important thing about mediation is that even though I'm a lawyer, my legal hat is off and I am a neutral mediator. Okay. And my job is to empower the parties to have control over the process and the outcome. And there are four prongs to mediation. Okay. Number one, identify the issues, like a grocery list. Okay. Number two, pick an issue, brainstorm all kinds of options. Number three, evaluate those options by asking questions and reality testing. Number four, come to a joint decision on that issue and then go to the next issue on the list. So that's it in a nutshell. Wow. So how would you know if you picked a great mediator versus a not so great mediator? That's a really good question. I actually wrote a blog post on that yeah? called something like something like it's on my website, something like five tips for choosing a mediator. So well, let's put that usually, in the show notes. I think that would be really good. Yeah. 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 It's actually one of my most read blog tips. Uh-huh. Uh, and I wrote it so long ago. I'm trying to remember what I said. So one thing, one thing I said is I happen to be certified by the Virginia Supreme Court. And not all states have a certification process. And because I'm certified by the Virginia Supreme Court, I get recertified every two years, which means I do a lot of training, which I really enjoy. Mediator training makes me a better mediator. And we do it collaboratively with other mediators. So it's actually a lot of fun, although it's a little bit nerve wracking because you're put on the spot, you're doing role plays. Ethics is important. Addressing emotions is important. There are all kinds of different trainings. So in terms of how do you know what the best mediator is, number one is you might want to say, are you certified by any state entity? So that might be right. number one. Gotcha. Number number two might be, you know, are you comfortable talking with this mm -hmm. person? Is this person kind? Does, does this person have what you're looking for? My particular brand is rapid response, mm -hmm. kindness, and competence. But for someone looking for a mediator, kindness might not be important. To me, it is. Right. But to other people, it may be, hey, you know what? We just want you to be a good numbers person. Right. And just help us with the numbers. So it depends what you're looking for. But if you're looking for kindness, rapid response, and competence, that would be me. Okay. So everyone looks for something different. Gotcha. Just like if you're shopping for a doctor or mm -hmm. a lawyer, shopping for a dress, you're not going to by the first dress necessarily. Absolutely, absolutely. And I suggest to my clients that they interview two or three to so that they have something to compare to and their gut feel can tell them. And I also give them kind of a list of questions to check out. I recently got certified in pre-mediation coaching which is the, the whole goal is to help the mediator by taking a lot of the pressure off and then the mediator can be as successful as possible, particularly on the emotional end and the preparation end and that kind of thing. So I've had a lot of fun with that. Um, but I also have clients that have dealt with different personality types in mediation. 
Um, How do you handle that? I know one of my clients was worried that the mediator wouldn't be able to see through the husband's bad behavior. I hear that a lot. I do these pre-mediation, no charge, confidential phone consults separately with each party. And I hear that a lot from either of the parties. You know, my wife or my husband is so charming and is going to charm the pants off of you. But really, he or she is a narcissist. And I'm worried you're not going to see that. So I hear that a lot. And one thing I'll say is I I learn a lot in these phone consults, these pre-mediation, no charge, confidential phone consults. And after I do these phone consults, I then send clients four forms, one of which is a confidential intake form where they can tell and share with me anything that they want me to know. And really the form is more for them because it gets them thinking about their goals, fears, and challenges for mediation. But it also gives me more of that kind of information before we even get into mediation. So to address a difficult personality, I've that's where this training comes back right, into play. Right. So not only do mediators do a lot of training, but there are certain trainings I've done that really do help me address difficult personality types. One is Bill Eddy, E-D-D-Y. He is gonna be a guest on my podcast. I read every one of his books. He is He's fantastic. He is the penultimate expert in hostile personalities and how to deal with them. He is. Yes. He calls them high conflict. Yes. And in a nutshell, I trained with him in DC, I trained with him in San Diego, I trained with him in Virginia. I've seen him at all the family mediator conferences I used to go to before the pandemic. A lot of them are still remote. So Bill has really his his career is fascinating. I'll just briefly tell you he was a kindergarten teacher, a social <laughs> yes. worker a therapist, a lawyer, and a mediator. Uh He's got it all. Yes. And he's got specific tactics in many of his books. One of my favorites is called, So, What's Your Proposal? Mm -hmm. And so when I'm dealing with a difficult personality, or as Bill calls it, a high conflict personality, rather than kind of paraphrasing and summarizing a lot of emotions, which will not work with a high conflict personality, according to Bill, you make it all about the proposal. So make a proposal. Very factual. And then the other person, right. The other person can say, yes, no, I'll think about it. If the person says no, that person makes a counter proposal back. And so you're negotiating, mm-hmm. you're making proposals, you're leaving the emotion out of it to the extent that you can. The other person who has been very helpful to me used a lot of his work when I was teaching law school is William Urey, U-R-Y, mm-hmm. from the Harvard Program on Negotiation. And he uh, and Roger Fisher wrote Getting to Yes, which is kind of the Bible yes. on negotiation. Mm-hmm. And he speaks a lot in his books about interest-based negotiation. And so those two uh, methods, mm-hmm. both Bill Eddy and Bill Urey, have helped me a lot with whether we call the personality difficult, because we can all be situationally difficult or strategically difficult, right? Or whether it's a high conflict personality, which Bill Eddy will say is really someone with a personality disorder. And many of us have personal personality disorders. Sure. But both of the, the works of both of them uh, really have helped me in sort of preparing for a case 
and also in mediating a case mm -hmm. and helping the parties again my job is to empower the parties to negotiate with each other not just in mediation but after they're finished with mediation too absolutely and you know i was thinking about another question that i've heard from clients is that they're so worried that they will be so upset that they won't be able to stand up for themselves and the emotion and that's actually one of the things i do as a coach is i prepare mm -hmm. them to manage those emotions and just like you said the mm -hmm. goal to mm -hmm. me is making this a business-like transaction to put those mm -hmm. emotions aside during that session and view mm -hmm. it as a neutral business transaction that's not easy but it can it's be done not. it can be done so what i find is that in that pre-mediation call Sometimes people will say, oh, there won't be any emotion. We're completely amicable. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I always say to them, hey, you know what? As a mediator, I'm trained to address emotion. As a lawyer, I was not. Right. And I will say to them, because, you know, when you get into mediation, people who think there will be no emotion, there is because we're humans. We're not machines. I'll say to them, you know, the most common emotions I see are grief, anger, fear, and loss. And what we do in mediation is we acknowledge the emotion because that empowers the parties. Mm -hmm. It creates a legitimate sense of control and fairness. And it also creates the opportunity to preserve the relationship. So mediation does not look like therapy. I always say this to people. It does not Neither look like therapy. Neither does coaching, yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. But we don't ignore the emotion. We'll pause. Mm -hmm. We may even take a, a break to get a drink and just to get a tissue. So, and then I, I do allow people to choose if they want to keep going. And mm -hmm. usually they do. I mean, I would say 99.9% .9 of the time they do want to go. I'm thinking of one case where the party's mom had just fallen Ooh. and it turned out, it turned out she took an ambulance to the hospital and died. And I'm so <gasps> glad that in that case, I said, let's stop mediation. Yes. Let's just stop. And he wanted to keep going. And I said, no, I think we should stop. Yeah, Thank you God can't we did think that. clearly. Yeah. No. I just had a gut feeling. Yes. So in that kind of case, we stop. But typically, if someone is emotional, I'll give them an option. Um, and people really, really like that we're not going to ignore the emotion but nor are we having a therapy session. We're just gonna acknowledge the presence and move on. Many of us have been taught to spend all our time, money, and energy investing in husbands, children, community, church, family, and others, but not ourselves. Divorce is not the time to do this. I'm Beverly Price, the empowering divorce coach who guides you on your journey before, during, and after. The next steps you will take set the stage for your entire divorce and life afterward. I help you prepare fully for what is to come, understand and navigate the process, come to terms with your emotions, avoid costly mistakes, and create an empowered life after. With the right support and guidance, you can move through the process with knowledge, strength, and confidence. Schedule a free consultation with me at HerEmpoweredDivorce.com. Let's journey to the other side of divorce together. And now let's get back to the show. What about there are mediators that are mediators and there are mediators that have also been trained as attorneys. 
What are mm -hmm. your opinions of those two distinctions? Well, and it's interesting because I, I am an attorney. I am trained as an attorney. Mm -hmm. And when I started off doing my training as a mediator, I noticed that the people having the hardest time with our role plays in terms of acknowledging, summarizing, paraphrasing, reframing, the litigators had the toughest time. The mm -hmm. litigators tended to, in the role plays, be kind of pummeling the other party with questions. <laughs> Isn't it a fact? Yes. Isn't it a fact? Yes, yes, yes. And, and you know, mediators need to use open-ended questions. Help me understand. Tell me about this. And so my trainings would be composed of HR people and social workers and therapists who all did a really great job at our role plays. And for litigators, it was a little bit difficult. For me, I was never a litigator and mm -hmm. I was a psychology, a developmental psychology major. So I kind of wanted to be a therapist, but instead I went to law school. Mm -hmm. I think for me, those role plays were, were not, I'm not going to say they were easy, but I wasn't responding to them like a litigator was right. because of my developmental psychology background. But I bet they were awesome training. Yes. 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 The training is amazing. Yes. Yeah. Very, very different than going to law school. Law school education and mediator training is night and day. Mediator training is wonderful, mm -hmm. warm, and um, I just felt so at home in mediator training, whereas in law school, I had to put on a persona, you know. Even teaching law school, I had to put on a persona. Professor Halpern, who was she? <laughs> <laughs> Wait, you're calling me Professor Halpern? Oh, oh that's me. Yes, I want, when when you say Professor Halpern, I, I kind of go into my college mindset of, oh, I'm going to scoot down <laughs> in my chair right now. Um, is there anyone or any situation that should not go to mediation? I'm thinking of a couple. Okay. So a cornerstone of mediation is disclosure right. and confidentiality. Mm -hmm. And it's voluntary. So those three cornerstones. Disclosure is a cornerstone. And so when you fill out those financial worksheets, let's say you're getting a divorce, before you even get to mediation, that's one of the four forms I send along with that confidential intake form. Right. I send the financial worksheet. And they can fill them out together separately. And it goes through your bank accounts, your investment accounts, your retirement accounts, your personal property, your real property, your income. Uh, your health insurance and so if someone doesn't want to share that financial worksheet because I pull them up in mediation right or for meeting in person you know we share them if someone doesn't want to share that information you're not a candidate for mediation so that happened right in in one case years ago you know even despite our pre-mediation consults and even with the forms they filled out when it came right down to it the husband wanted to punish the wife because she had decided she wanted the divorce. Right. And he said, well, I'm not sharing the financial. She was a PhD. He right. was a lawyer. And she had a one-year-old, a two-year-old, and a three-year-old. And so he had become in charge of the finances. He said, well, I'm not sharing anything with you because, you know, I don't want this divorce. Well, I had to say, you know what? I don't want to waste your money. This is a cornerstone, as you know, of mediation, financial disclosure. If you're not going to disclose this information, I'm going to tell you what the other options are for you. And I outlined other forms of alternative dispute resolution for them. So it, so the only, so litigation isn't the only option in that case. Right. 
Right. Because so there's, cause, I'm a, one thing I heard that's a big distinction between mediation and litigation is that in mediation, your information is confidential, but in litigation, your information can be public record. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. Yes. But there are things, think of a ladder. Okay. The ladder of dispute resolution. There are things between mediation and litigation, which most of my clients don't know. There's something called evaluative mediation, which retired judges do here in Virginia. I'm a facilitative mediator in Virginia. Uh, Supreme Court certified mediators are facilitative. Okay. Evaluative mediators may be a retired judge who can say, well, when I was on the bench, this is how I would have ruled. They okay. evaluate the case. I wasn't a retired judge. I don't practice evaluative mediation. Okay. Gotcha. Then there's arbitration where the parties hire an arbitrator. There's no appeal right in arbitration. And even if the arbitrator makes a mistake, the decision is final. The arbitrator will write an arbitrator opinion or an arbitration award. And a lot of people like arbitration because it is done in a conference room of their own choosing. It's not right. in a public situation like a courtroom. I think a little people, sometimes people are nervous because the award is final with no appeal right. So there's arbitration. But it may preserve relationships. It may be a little bit more dignified. Mm -hmm. It may cost less money. And then there may be a legal conference where the lawyers talk, the parties don't. And then at the top of that ladder would be litigation, which is public. Right. Nasty. time-consuming. It does not preserve relationships. It's expensive. Right. It's time-consuming. And so that's sort of what I call the ladder. And at the very, very bottom is negotiation. And then the second rung from the bottom would be mediation, where you pull in your neutral mediator. So it's really an entire ladder of dispute resolution. So in terms of mediation, if I understand the contrast, in mediation, the couple is really making the decisions. But in arbitration, it's the arbitrator who's making the final decision. Is that correct? That is such an important point. And that's the point that I emphasize over and okay. over. You have control in mediation. You are experts on your own family and your own situation. Don't give away your control. You have control over the process and the outcome. If you go to arbitration, who has control? The arbitrator has control over the process and the outcome. And so when people are having trouble on a sticky issue and they say, oh, this is so hard, we're going to let the judge decide. I say, well, remember, you have control here. Right. Why would you give your control to someone you don't know if the judge is male or female, divorced or never married, right? Jewish or Catholic, kids or no kids, you know nothing about this person. And then people will say, oh, oh, okay, okay, you're right. We'll, we'll work at this again. What do you say to the person that says the process should be fair? The result should be fair. My result wasn't fair. So that's a really good question because I try to really focus on what are the best interests of the children, mm -hmm. right? If there are children involved, let's focus on the best interests of the children. Um, I try to focus on the process. And when people say, I want something that's fair, help me to understand what that means, I'll say. Okay. So if they say something like, well, I worked really hard and I 
you know, I know the marital period is from date of marriage to date of separation. I know we need to split these assets under Virginia law because Virginia is an equitable distribution state. But I really don't want to do that. I don't really feel that's fair. I really feel like I should keep everything. Right. And I'll say, well, you know, in mediation, you have the flexibility that you don't have in court, right? Because in court, a judge is going to order something. In here in mediation, you can negotiate what's right. going to work best for the two of you. So that's sort of how I will respond to a, well, you know, this isn't fair that I have to split my retirement or I have to split this or I have to split that. So we'll, we'll talk about negotiating and we'll talk about, you know, help me to understand gotcha. what, you know, what are your priorities? Let's talk about the issues. And so then we get to, you know, we will always focus, especially with kids because not all my mediations involve children. What's the best interest of the children? Right. So we'll always turn the focus back to them. Absolutely. But it's a, it's a difficult concept when people, you know, are saying this has to be fair. Well, help me to understand what does that mean to you? What does fairness mean to you? Right. And then we'll find that the parties agree on way more than they disagree on. Well, we, well, we want the children to be able to take violin and play soccer. Yeah, we right. want to support them in their goals and their dreams. So we get away from that fairness question in terms of, okay, let's talk about your goals mm -hmm. for mediation. Absolutely. What about domestic violence situations? Are they appropriate for mediation? That's a really, really good question. So I part of those intake forms that we talked about that I always send to people um, before we meet, part of that is a screening for domestic violence. Yes, and I have that too. So, yeah. Right. So it's really important to screen for domestic violence to understand what's going on. Um, it's not always appropriate, but there are times if people want to move forward with mediation and typically that's when a Zoom mediation really comes in handy mm -hmm. because people may be in different states. Right. Um, and a mediator can caucus and have the parties in different mediation rooms so they don't have to see each other. Right. So mediation can be a tool that's used in situations of domestic violence, but in terms of abuse, um, I, I've had a call where some child abuse, sexual abuse was alleged and I immediately referred them to a lawyer right. because I thought that the lawyer would be able to help them uh, in a better way than yeah. mediation could. Absolutely. I think that's so true. Now, um, do you, you said you're in Virginia. Do you practice outside of Virginia? I do. So for years I did court referred mediations in Virginia and then exclusively in DC through a program called Multidor, which is in DC courts. And there were divisions in Multidor. There was uh, tax, there was civil, child protection, family, small claims. And I worked in three different divisions. Um, one, uh, one was small claims, mm -hmm. which was any claim under 10,000. So you never knew what kind of a case you were going to get. Right. One, one was family, and then one was uh, judge and chambers, which dealt with temporary restraining orders. So I did that for about 10 years until the pandemic hit. And so I do get a lot of calls now for DC cases, which mm -hmm. I do, um, and even Maryland cases. I'm a member of the Maryland Bar, mm -hmm. the Maryland State Bar. Okay. Um, I tend to do more Virginia cases and DC cases and fewer Maryland cases. Okay. Okay. That's so interesting. Um, let's see, I asked you about the mediator. And the, oh, 
What about this concept of shuttle mediation, going into different rooms? I had a client that, oh, and, and then the question of, should you have an attorney present with you for each party while they're in mediation with you? Okay, so let's take one at a time. Okay. So shuttle mediation, we call a caucus. Okay. And that's when I can put parties in separate mediation rooms either in person, which okay. I did a lot of before the pandemic, or Zoom, which I do a lot since the pandemic. Okay. And I always offer at least one caucus per, if I'm meeting with a family for two sessions or three sessions, at least one caucus. They can say no, mm -hmm. or they can ask for a caucus. The beauty of a caucus is that they can check in with me, I can check in with them just to make sure everybody's doing okay. Okay. And a lot of times with parents, I tend to keep parents together a lot because mm -hmm. I want them to be able to negotiate everything related to their children after mediation. Exactly. I tend to get, I tend to get people in and out of mediation pretty quickly. I, one session on a parenting plan, one session on a division of, of assets and liabilities. Some parties like to mediate with me a lot. They want five sessions, mm -hmm. but I like to save people money. So I mm -hmm. like to get people in and out. Right. So, so in terms of caucusing, it's a good tool. I always offer it. Um, if it's a case that doesn't address children, let's say it's a business partner dispute. Okay. Um, they may want to be in caucus more or they may want to be in caucus less. I always educate people about the option for using caucus. Gotcha. Now let's talk about bringing a lawyer in. Right. So I will always remind people, even though I'm a lawyer, I'm your neutral. I cannot give you legal advice. Right. I can give you legal information. Mm -hmm. Like I can calculate child support. I walked right. out line. Okay. And I'll always remind my parties, you have a right to consult with a lawyer at any time during mediation or to review the agreement that I write before you sign it. Mm-hmm because it's all brainstorming, but when you sign it, it becomes a binding legal contract. Right. So I'll always remind people of this because a lot of people will say, thanks, Elise, we don't really like lawyers, but we appreciate you telling us that. Okay. So you certainly can have a lawyer with you in mediation. It doesn't happen very often because my client will have to pay the lawyer and will have to pay me and the other party will have to pay the lawyer. So that we're talking two lawyers plus a mediator. It's always an option, and when it has happened, the lawyers are quiet and let me run the show. I manage the mediation. Mm -hmm. um, and when that's happened, usually that kind of falls off. So if one session the parties have the lawyers there and the lawyers don't say anything, right? Um, and even say, hey, I'm going to get on a call. Let me know, the lawyers will say to their clients, let me know if you need me. Mm -hmm. And so the, the my clients kind of realize, oh, it's not really that great to have a lawyer present uh -huh. because I can always call the lawyer at any time during mediation, after mediation, right? Right. So it it is something I will always remind clients because it's really important for them to remember that this is their right. And it is important for clients to have professionals that they can consult with, whether it's a lawyer, a divorce financial neutral, a tax person, mm -hmm. a parenting coordinator who's a therapist, a real estate person. Sometimes it's really helpful to have professionals who can guide you along the way with your mediator. Right. So, so it's always okay to have a lawyer present. Most of my clients do not. Right. Okay. Yeah, I saw um, or I heard of one in which it was actually <clears throat> the lawyers doing the talking. 
<clears throat> which actually turned more into what looked like almost a pseudo litigation uh, on the way to a settlement because the clients mm -hmm. didn't talk and then they ended up going to separate rooms and the mediator would go back and forth between the attorneys. So I wondered, is that really mediation at all? That's, remember we talked about evaluative mediation, which is what retired judges do? Right. That's what evaluative mediation looks like. Each okay. party has a lawyer and the evaluative mediator who's a retired judge will go back and forth between separate rooms. And I write the agreements as a facilitative mediator, but an evaluative mediator has the lawyers writing the agreements. Gotcha. So it's a different form of mediation. It works a little bit differently. Gotcha, mm -hmm. gotcha, gotcha. This has been so fascinating. Absolutely, you are so incredibly knowledgeable. One of the things I like to ask all my guests before we leave is to offer three tips to our audience to, to help them along their divorce journey. Do you have anything you would suggest to them to keep in mind or even to summarize what you've said already? I do, I do. I don't know that this is summarizing what I said, but I would say find a mentor and be a mentor. Okay. That's number one, okay? Um, number two, I'm an information person. Okay. I like information, I like facts, I like to know things. So I would say empower yourself with information. Mm -hmm. And that goes back to those professionals we talked about who may be helpful, a real estate person, a therapist, a divorce financial neutral, or even even a certified divorce financial analyst who would be your advisor. Right. Whereas a divorce financial neutral is the advisor for, is the, the neutral mm -hmm. for the couple. Um, so I would say empower yourself with information. It's very important. Ask questions. And then number three, I would say find your people, find your groups, find your activities to support your interests in your physical health and your mental health. Absolutely. You want to do a lot of self-care. Take care of yourself and find your people. Yeah. I think so many people ignore that part. And I saw some recent statistics about what happens to the health of men and women after divorce that was just appalling. And part of it mm -hmm. is the buildup of the stress that drives mm -hmm. it. So um, that's just, that was so discouraging. And at least I know our listeners are gonna have so many questions. Um, how can they find you if they wanna learn more? Oh, thank you for asking. Um, I would say look at my website, littlefallsmediation.com. Okay. Or email me, my email's on my website. It's Elise Halpern at, oh, sorry. It's Elise at littlefallsmediation.com. That's right on my website. Okay. Or my phone number, which is 202-256-6428. That's on my website as well. So I would say look around my website because I'm always in there adding things. Um, I really like to you know, keep it updated with information because, again, I'm an information person. I think yeah. information empowers all of us. Absolutely. So I would say look around my website. And, in fact, I will always ask my potential clients to look at my website because I think they're going to get a lot more out of our pre-mediation calls if they educate themselves about mediation before our calls. Absolutely. So I would, I would say look at my website. And thank you, Beverly, for asking. Oh, absolutely. Is there anything you'd like to share that I've forgotten to ask you? 
Oh, you've been you've been really comprehensive. I would say there's one more blog post that I wrote years ago that I would maybe check out because a lot of people are worried about money. People have fear. I would say check out my blog post on five financial tips when you're facing divorce. Um, I remember once getting a phone call from someone who just said, I'm terrified. And that's what prompted me to write that blog post because I don't want people to be terrified. I want to empower them with information so that they can move forward um, without fear. And to the audience, all of Elisa's information will be available in the show notes along with mine. And you can find them at HerEmpoweredDivorce.com on the podcast page or on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also watch our video version on our YouTube channel, Her Empowered Divorce. Thank you so much for being with Elise and myself on this episode of Her Empowered Divorce. I just love being with super knowledgeable um, divorce experts, and in particular that are women, because I believe in women helping women. Join me for our next episode where I'll be diving deeper into what another expert professional can share to help you on your separation and divorce journey. Please share our story with your friends so we can reach out and help as many women as possible. Thank you for joining us today and stay empowered. Thank you for listening to the Her Empowered Divorce Podcast. Be sure to check out my other episodes of this podcast at HerEmpoweredDivorce.com on the podcast page or wherever you listen to podcasts. Please subscribe and leave us a review. This will help me reach out to help more women so they don't feel so alone. And share this with your friends. With the right support and guidance, you can move through the process with knowledge, skills, and confidence and on to a time of growth and empowerment. If you're interested in learning more, schedule a free consultation with me at HerEmpoweredDivorce.com. I appreciate your support. Until next time, take care and stay empowered.